How many of y'all know we serve a great God today? Yeah? Can we get some hands put together for that? Y'all must have thought you had a tall preacher up here. Let me put this down a little bit. Put this down a little bit. Anytime they sing those songs, they just stir up my soul. I was almost about to turn into a bag of water and start crying up there, but I know I had to keep my composure. Epiphany BK, what's going on? So glad to, to be here. Um, my name is Pastor Ernie Grant. I'm the Connections Pastor um, at Epiphany Fellowship of Camden, right in the hood there. Love it. Been there for five years serving Jesus. Um, glad my wife and my little baby girl accompanied me up here today. Yeah, look at my wife about to blush. She's she like, babe, don't, don't embarrass me. So look, I'm not going to be with you long today. Get with me if you can. I'm in Psalm the 78th chapter. Psalm the 78th chapter. Psalm 78, and I'm going to start at verses, verse 9, I'm going to read down to verse 20. It simply says, The Ephraimites, armed with the bow, turned back on the day of battle. They did not keep God's commandments, but refused to walk according to his law. They forgot his works and the wonders that he had shown them. In the sight of their fathers, he performed wonders in the land of Egypt. And the fields of Zohan, he, defeat, he divided the sea and let them pass through it and made water stand like the heap. In the daytime, he led them with a cloud and spent all the night with fiery light. And he split the rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink abundantly as from the deep. He made streams come out from the rock and caused waters to flow down like rivers. Yet they sinned more against him, rebelling against him, rebelling against the most high in the desert. They tested God in their hearts by demanding food that they craved. They spoke against God saying, can God spread a table in the wilderness? He struck the rock so that the water gushed out and the streams overflowed. Can he also give bread to provide for his people? That ends the reading of God's word. Why don't you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, we do thank you today. We think about that stanza in the verse, Lord, that just talks about how you gladly bore our burdens upon the cross of Calvary. And Lord, how you did a divine transfer. You took our bad credit of our sin and you transferred that to the good credit of your righteousness. And then you put that upon us. And Lord, we are thankful and grateful to that end today. I pray that you will be with us, O oh Lord. I know some folks here, Lord, whose hearts are burdened, whose minds are tired, who had some rough, rugged terrible weeks, God. They, we, we come in with smiles on our face, smelling and looking good, but God, deep down in our hearts, we are struggling. I pray that you will speak to the hearts of us today, God, that you will sit me down and that you will stand up greatly on behalf of your son. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus and all, that, all the people that agree with that say, amen. 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 So happy to be here. A few weeks ago, my wife went to a women's retreat, right? It was Dr. Sarita Lyons led the women's retreat at Epiphany Philly. Uh, and my wife came home so excited. She was like, baby, it was great. I said, was the retreat great? I said, were you, I said, babe, were you growing in grace? She said, babe, I was growing in grace. I felt like I was getting more connected with Jesus. They were going over the Bible study, hermeneutic methods, and just speaking. I said, babe, was that all what was going on? Was you encouraged? She said, I said, babe, I said, were you spiritually maturing? She said, yeah, babe, I was spiritually maturing. I said, well, good. Let me bring you in the house real quick. 
because I had the baby that weekend. So I said, baby, while you were spiritually maturing, look at your house physically decaying. <laughs> I said, look at, look at how, you, look how you, every dish in the house was dirty. Every towel was dirty. All the beds were unmade up. I mean, shoes everywhere. I had throw up all on me because the baby girl just kept throwing up on me. She just was not feeling my care. She kept on calling out for her mom. All of that. It was, it was rugged. And as I thought about that, that weekend, I said, babe, I know the house is a mess. I know that it's rugged in here, but let me encourage you with one thing. The, raggedy of, the raggediness of the house right now is indicative of the fact that I don't take you for granted like I should all the time. In other words, sometimes I do not take, value my wife in the sense that I am supposed to. And we all run into this type of thing. And then as, as I began to encourage her, I let her know, like, baby, the house is in shambles. Everything is, is decayed and it's looking back. But I know, because I'm married to you, that you're going to be able to help me turn this thing around. And as I thought about that a little bit, church, this week as I was preparing, I thought about that story. If I take my wife for granted, whom I see every day, if I take my wife for granted, whom I love and I lay in the bed with, how much more do we have the proclivity and propensity to take God for granted? How often do we, do we really value the fact that we are recipients of God's grace? Do we really value the fact that we are image bearers made in his image and that he's lavished his love on us? Or is it something that we just consider arbitrary in our lives? So today I want to preach from using the, the, the Ephraimites here in this verse as a case study. I want to preach from the topic, the dangers of taking God for granted. The dangers of taking God for granted. Now, in verse 1 through 8, Asaph is, is recounting the historical unfaithfulness of God's people. But in verse number 9, he changes trajectories, and he begins to ground his argument in a, in a historical event. Now, 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 even though we don't know what event this was, it was a time in which the tribe of Ephraim, they were presumably supposed to be uh, defending Israel, the nation of Israel. They went AWOL in battle. In other words, they deserted their post. They were all supposed to go to battle collectively. But instead of them going to battle collectively and fighting against God's enemies, what they did was they decided that they were going to desert their post without any intention of returning. And here's my first point. First point is this. The danger of taking God for granted is that it's detrimental to God's community. It's detrimental to God's community. Look at look what it says here in verse number nine. It says the Ephraimites armed with the bow turned back in the day of battle. Now let me give you a little bit of background here. That the, the Ephraimites are named after the patriarch Ephraim, right? Uh, after whom the he was the, the, the youngest son of Joseph. When Joseph, his father, was about to die, it was customary that he would bring his children. When Jacob, his grandfather, was about to die, he asked that Joseph bring his sons to him. He had two sons. The older was Manasseh. The younger was Ephraim. And he was supposed to, he was supposed to lay his hands on the two children. And Ephraim, who is the older child, was supposed to receive the primary, the, the lion's share of the blessing. But what he did as he began to lay his hands on him is he switched his hands. So Manasseh got the left hand, Ephraim got the right hand, which was indicative of him receiving the majority of the blessing instead of his son Manasseh. 
And Jacob was, began to, pro, I mean, Joseph began to protest, but Jacob said to him this, he said this, he said, the younger will be a great people. And since that time, the tribe of Ephraim was a, a nation that was highly valued. They were one of the leading tribes. The, they were the tribe that appointed Joseph uh, when they succeeded, that, that appointed Joshua when they, when they seeded into the Moses into the promised land. They were very rich. They appointed Gideon and Samuel. They had military skill. You could equate them to uh, the, the Navy SEALs of our day. They were highly polished in their battle array. They were military geniuses. So, so what happened here that they deserted each other in battle? Well, this is what happened. Each, ba- each tribe was expected to go into battle together. They were a covenant community. They served interdependently with one another. But instead of engaging in the battle against their enemies, Ephraim decided that they were going to desert their posts and go back to the tents. In other words, they didn't work with the covenant community to fight their enemy. Instead, they reverted back into isolation. Y'all with me? So, so this wasn't a simply a, a, a means of failure to be patriotic. This was them not keeping the unity that they have in the covenant community. I want you to catch this. They deserted the covenant community. They deserted the people that they, they covenanted to be with so that they could exercise their individualistic ideology. So they didn't want to be in the group of people. And listen, I tell you, we, we, can, we can point the finger and we can blame the Ephraimites and say, you know, that's terrible. But a lot of times we do the same thing. A lot of times we get upset and we think it's too hard for us to do life with one another because we get offended, right? We get offended, we get mad, uh, we don't want to be in a DNA group because somebody said something we don't like. A lot of times what we do as, as church people is, is we fabricate offense. We make up in our mind somebody that said something to offend us, and rather than us continuing to walk with the covenant community, we, like, we act like the Ephraimites and desert the covenant community. I mean, let me tell you something real quick. We got to have some expectation management in the covenant community, in the church. You didn't join heaven. You joined the church. You join a rugged, raggedy group of people. Like if you think about the 1 Corinthians 13 piece about love and admiration and love bears all things and all that, that was written to the Corinthians who was raggedy. One man was taking another man's wife, his own daddy's wife. There was divisions among the group. You think about the fruits of the spirit that we love so much in Galatians 5. Well, that was written to the haughty Galatians that was religious elitists. So I'm saying, in the covenant community, people are going to offend you. They're going to make you mad sometime. But I shouldn't have to send you a text, send you three texts, call you, get a pigeon, write a note, <laughs> tie it to the foot, throw the pigeon. No, no. We need one another in this thing. We shouldn't abandon our covenant community because this was Christ's idea. These are the people. We are the people that Christ died for, and we need one another. He goes on here. Oh, yeah, okay, okay, yeah, yeah. So this happens in the church. Like, like you didn't join heaven, you joined the church. And these are all subtle, divisive ways in which we don't value God's community at times, right? We don't, we, but let me explain this to you, and I'm going to give you an analogy. Y'all know I'll be trying to go to the gym sometime, right? Trying to work it out. I see some buff dudes in here. I know, especially my Nigerian bro right here. He got, he, you know what I mean? He all swole. So, so, 
so we, we go, me and, my, me and my partners, we go to the gym on like Mondays and Wednesdays, right? And the first thing that we do on Mondays is we try to work chest and triceps, right? Chest and triceps. So one of the, one of the most pivotal exercises that you do is the bench press. That's when you lay down on your back, you have a bar that's perpendicular to your chest, and, and what you do is you, you, you lift it off, and then you begin to do repetitions, right? Now, as you're beginning to do the repetitions, the first few reps are pretty easy, right? They're not too burden-bearing on your arms. You, you, you're doing okay. But after a little while, as the muscle fiber begins to break down and the lactic acid begins to creep in there, it gets more and more difficult. So as the weight is about to crash on your chest, you have someone there to do something called give you a spot. Right? So, so, so they're looking at you, and before that weight hits your chest, they come alongside you. They grab a bit of the weight and help you bear some of the weight so you don't have to do it on your own. And not only do they do that, they're encouraging you the whole time. They're saying, come on, bro. You can pick up this weight. Come on. You got to do this. You got to do this. And that's sort of how what goes on in the covenant community. When tragedy strikes in your life, when hardship and burdens seem like they're going to destroy you, instead of the weight of life about to crash down in your chest, that's when your brothers and sisters in Christ come on and give you a spot. They say, come on, bro. You can do it. I know that it's been difficult on you. I know that you've had some hardship, but Christ is with you. Christ is your strength. He's going to help you, and the covenant community is going to get around you. Y'all with me in here? Don't, don't be clapping that hard. I'm, I'm a hoop. I'm telling you, I got, a, I got a hoop deep down in there. I'm telling you. So you need not isolate yourself from the covenant community. And if you've been dating the church for a while, it's time to covenant to be a part of this fellowship. If you've been here and dating and dating and, and figuring out where you want to go, God wants you deeply rooted somewhere where you can be held accountable, where you can hear the preaching of the gospel, and where you can take the sacrament of communion. He wants us to be a tight-knit body. So when you get offended, Matthew 18 people, go to them like, bro, you made me a little upset and work it out. Figure out ways that you can do some conflict mitigation as opposed to being passive aggressive and just walking away from the church, right? Because Jesus wasn't passive aggressive on that cross. Jesus actively got on that cross. He actively had those nails driven through his arm. He actively had those nails driven through his feet and said to tell us die. He did that on purpose and then actively raised again. He challenged sin at its core. And we, because we are image bearers of Christ, we can challenge hardship and conflict that we have in our community together. Y'all with me? All right, all right. Nobody threw no eggs or nothing at me, so I must be, I must be doing all right on that point. All right, so let's, let's continue on here. So not only is it dismissive to, not only is it dis detrimental to God's community, but it's also, it also devalues God's covenant. So when you take God for granted, it devalues the covenant of God. So Asaph told us the, the who and the what, right? He told us it was the Ephraimites, and he told them that they deserted in battle. Now he gets, in, he gets into the why. So as I said earlier, the Ephraimites are a group of Navy SEALs, right? They were, they were like biblical warriors. They, they, come on, computer. There we go. They were like, they were like Navy SEALs that, that would go to war, and they actually would lead Israel together, right? Um, but, but what happened, right? Like, why did they decide that it was imperative for them to turn their back on their covenant community, on the people that they have been living with and killing it with for so long. 
It says it right here in verse 10. Look what it says. It says, they did not keep God's covenant, but refused to walk in according to his law. That's what, it, that's what happened. So, so let, me give you, let me give you a little bit when he's, when he's talking about covenant and law. He, he's specifically referring to Exodus 20, 1 through 2. 1 through 2. Now, this is where God gave the, the, the commandments, right? So this is where he gave, God gave the Ten Commandments, and then they gave a further instruction of the law all the way down to chapter 24. So in that further instruction of the law, he would have talked about altars. He would have talked about indentured servants, principles of restitution, social justice the Sabbath, all of that type of stuff. So Moses gets all of these commandments, comes down from Mount Sinai and tells the people everything that's going on, right? And what they said was, all the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. That's what they said. What this was was, after they said that, they built an altar, sacrificed oxen, and, they, and, and what they did was they, they vowed to keep God's covenant. So this was an ancient means of them keeping the covenant of God. So it was like an ancient ceremony. God gave some stipulations of stuff that he wanted them to follow. They heard it, received it. They said, God, we're going to do it. And, and to make sure that you know we're going to do it, we're going to sacrifice some oxen to that end. So they were literally saying, God, we will be your special covenant people. We, we will be the people that are uh, uh, um, respected and loved in your sight. We will follow these things. So he said, so God was distinguishing them from other nations. He, and he promised them that they were going to be his treasured possession. That's what's going on. So, as, so, so when, they, when they willfully forgot or, or refused to follow the covenant of God, this wasn't just a matter of them having a mental lapse. This was actually them saying, I don't want God and what he has for me. Instead, I want to do what it is what I want to do. This was them intentionally rebelling against the covenant of God. They said, it's more important for me to enjoy fornication. It's more important for me to, to wild out and, and enjoy these other sins. They, they, they took God's concern for them for granted, and they began to rebel against him. And church, again, it's easy for us to look at a passage like this and point the finger at them, but every time we sin against God, we rebel against him. Every time we, 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 we forsake to see that we're in Christ Jesus, we have a newer and better covenant in him, and every time we decide that we're going to satisfy our fleshly longings that only bring us temporarily, temporary satisfaction, we're sinning against God. That's what, I mean, we, we are devaluing the covenant. We rebel, and the fact is, is we've been given a newer and better covenant in Christ Jesus. Here we go, I'm gonna give you, I'll give you another example. I'll give you another example. My dad is a great dad, but he also happened to be my baseball coach when I was in high school, right? As you can imagine, that probably did, that didn't really go too well, right? The dad doing the coach role. So, so we would spend hours and hours and hours in the backyard, We'd be working on footwork, drills, form drills. I hated every minute of it, right? Well, well, what he was trying to do was, he was trying to prepare me for the game. I was around 10 or 11. He said, okay, son, we got a game plan here. You have agreed to follow the game plan, so I expect you to, you said that you wanted to do this, right? So I said, yeah, dad, I want to do it. He said, well, look, I want you to execute this when you get to the game, right? Well, of course, that's not what happened. I get to the game, right, 
and things start to go wrong and I just decided that I was going to do what I wanted to do. Right? I started not throwing the ball over the top. I started sort of flinging it from the side. And he was just sitting there looking at me like, <laughs> boy, you're going to get Mr. Black when you get home. You know what I'm saying? You know, Mr. Black. So the game was over. The game was over. We get into the car. He said, I thought we had a game plan. I said, well, we, we did. He said, I, I thought you agreed to what it is that we said. I said, I, I, Dad, I, I kind of did. He said, all right, well, since you were disobedient, What's going to happen is when we get up in that house, I'm going to introduce you to Mr. Black. I said, oh, God. So I got in the car, and, but I was so happy because when I pulled up to the house, I saw the 97 Geo Prism. That was my mother's car. So what I did was I ran in the house real quick, took all my bro, ran into the house. My mother was in the kitchen where the front door is at. And she said, what happened? I said, oh, man, I, was, I didn't follow with dad's instruction, you know, at the game. So my dad comes in, about to take the belt off. She stands in the middle between, my, between me and my father. She, said, she, she looks at me, looks at my father, looks back at me, looks at my father and says, hold on, big fella. Be before you beat him, big fella, realize that you know that this boy is a fool, big fella. You know he be wilding out and doing what he wants to do. He, he's, he's, just, he's, just, he's just a bad child right now, big fella. So, she was, so, so what my mother did was she served as a mediator between my father and myself. And because she was advocating for me, she was able to temporarily appease my father's wrath. Well, church, I want to let you know today that the children of Israel had a mediator named Moses. And Moses was able to temporarily appease the wrath of God by providing the buds of bulls and goats and turtle doves. But he ultimately couldn't satisfy the wrath of God. But I want to tell people in here today under the sound of my voice that if you're in Christ Jesus, you have a greater mediator. Amen. Jesus was the one that took all of our sins upon his back. Jesus was the one that took all of our unrighteousness, placed it upon him, and forever satisfied the wrath of God on our behalf. So while each and every one of us was the perpetrator, Jesus said, I'm going to step into the place and I'm going to be the mediator. I'm going to take the wrath that each and every one of you deserve. I'm going to take the hardship and the pain. I'm going to take all of the, 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 the sin from the past, present, and the future, and I'm going to put it upon my back. That's what he said on the cross of Calvary. So I just want to tell you today, church, every time we sin against God, every time we decide that we're going to look at that porn on TV, Every time we decide that we're just going to be bickering and be argumentative, what we're, what we're deciding to do is that we are going to disavow and devalue God's covenant with us. So I want to encourage you today. You got to think about, we have to think about our sin in a different light. We can't think about, it is our sin that sent Christ Jesus to the cross. It is our sin. And see, that's why I'm not, a, that's why I'm not Buddhist or that's why I'm not uh, 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 any other uh, religious persuasion because they don't do anything to satisfy my sin issue. They just tell me to do good works, whether I should seek transcendentalism or whether I should just go pray at the, at the Mecca or pray to Mecca or pray to the East. That doesn't satisfy the unrighteousness that I have. In Jesus, he satisfies the righteous wrath of the Father. So that's why every time we sin, we need to keep that in mind. But here's the problem. 
A lot of times we have become so programmed to sin that we forget that it actually is sin that we're doing. Right? Right? A lot of times because we don't want to avail ourselves to accountability and we want to give and we get into the DNA groups and we and we give away these little false type of sins like oh man I was prideful this week or man I had a hard time. Like that ain't a, that ain't what you really was going through. That's not playing. You up here trying to give them the the the, the C level sins when you know it's some A level stuff going on in your life. Like oh man, you know I woke up late today. Like woke up late. <laughs> That's the biggest thing you got going on in your life? Waking up late? I'm saying, <laughs> if, if we are going to see, Jesus has done some, some monumental work in our lives. When he initially saved us and delivered us from the hand of the enemy. But we're walking together in a community through this form of, of sanctification where we're looking more and more like Jesus. And if we're going to look more and more like Jesus, we've got to be accountable and transparent to the people that we've covenanted to walk in count and walk in grace with. Y'all with me? All right, no, more, no tomatoes hit me, so I'm going to go to my next point. All right, here we go. So look, it's detrimental to, it's dismissive of the community, it's detrimental to the covenant, and here's the last one. It's dismissive of God's care. Dismissive of God. Taking God for granted is dismissive of God's care. So Asaph told us, look what he says. So Asaph told us the who and the what, right? He told us the why. Now he's telling us the how. Look what it says in verse 11. Look what it says. It says, they forgot his works and the wonders that he had shown them, right? I want you to remember that. They forgot his works. So, so, so this was not an issue of partial obedience or forgetfulness. I don't want you to see it that way. I don't want you to see this as like a lapse in judgment. They deliberately forgot about God. They buried what God had done in their lives into the deep recesses of their mind and had totally forgotten about it, right? Because had they remembered had they remembered what God had done in their lives, then it would have pushed them to be thankful. Had they remembered what God had done to deliver them out of Egypt, to protect them, for, to provide for them, it would have caused them to, to really appreciate his care for them. But instead, they dismissed his care. They dismissed it. So this leads me to my po third point. The danger of taking God for granted is that it's dismissive of his care. Well, well, well what does God's care look like? I'm, let's go to the text. Firstly, we need to know about God's care. Firstly, God delivers. Look what it says in verse 12. Look what it says. He says, in the sight of their fathers, he performed wonders. In the land of Egypt and in the fields of Zohan. What is he saying? He said, firstly, God provides. He delivers. Uh, um, this was the biggest miracle that had happened in the history of Israel. He delivered them from 400 years of bondage and slavery. He delivered them from that. And church, I want to tell you today, just like he's delivered Israel from bondage and slavery, he's delivered us from sin. He's delivered us from, the, from, from, from being in the bondage of sin for the totality of our lives. But look, that's not where it ends. Look at verse 13. It says, he divided the sea and let them pass through. What does that mean? It means that not only can God deliver you, but God will also protect you, right? Because as those walls of water began to, to climb around them, and they began to cross on dry ground, don't you know that that water should have crashed down on them? 
but that God protected them each and every step of the way because he was trying to lead them out of the, the, the bondage of, of Egypt into the promised land. And church, I'm here, I'm here to tell you today that not only has God delivered you from your sin, but God has been, he has been good to protect us. He's protected us. I think old church mother would say, he's protected us from dangers seen and unseen. Dangers we haven't even known of. When we were in that car accident, things could have gone wrong and the doctor said we weren't going to make it. God protected us. When you thought that your credit was going to mess, be messed up because you couldn't pay no bills, God protected you. When things were just going wrong in your life, God was protecting you then. So not only does God deliver you, but God can protect you. But church, that ain't it. That's not all that's, that's of God's dismissive care. Look, look what he says, comprehensive care. Look what he says in verse 14. He says, in the daytime, he led them with a cloud and all night with fiery rocks. So not only does God deliver, not only does God protect, but God will provide for you as well, or he'll guide you as well. Look what he says. The cloud represented the presence of God. The, the cloud was what protected them. It, it, it was a mediator between Pharaoh's army and the children of Israel. Once the temple was built, this cloud was indicative of God's presence with the people when it, it, when it, when it took habitation at the tabernacle. So, so, so what he's saying is, I'm going to guide you as well. I'm going to lead you. And church, I'm sure that some of us wouldn't have thought that God would have led us in the direction in our lives that we are in now. Some of us are sad. Some of us, I even believe, were probably sad because the life that we're living now is not the life that we wish that we were living. Because some of us are unhappy with where we are at in our careers. Some of us are, are, are really sad in here about how our situations with our families look. We thought we'd be married with multiple kids by now. Or we thought that we'd be further along with our job situation. Or we thought that relationships that were broken would be mended by now. But I'm going to tell you like this. Mourn the life that you wish that you had. Wipe your tears and walk in the life that God has given you now. Because he's guiding you, he's leading you, he's directing you, and ultimately he's doing all this for the glory of God. Because if he gave you every single thing that you desired, then you wouldn't want Jesus anymore. If he gave you everything that satisfied your soul and like the Ephraimites gave you stuff for your cravings, you wouldn't want Jesus like you do. You wouldn't be pursuing after him. You wouldn't be up at six in the morning praying. You wouldn't be praying on your train in the morning. You wouldn't be praying in the Uber. You wouldn't be praying on your way home and praying that God help you keep your mind with your coworkers that's talking all reckless. But it's God that's providing for you. He's directing you. He's got your back. All of the stuff that's transpiring in your life now is him leading you to the place that he wants you to be at in life, to mature and grow. So I'm gonna tell you like this. Yes, yes, you don't have what, exactly what it is that you want materially right now. Sure, you're not where you wanna be in your career. Yeah, you're a little disappointed with your relational prospects, but where you're at now is right where God wants you, and he's gonna use you even in the place that you're at now. Somebody can say amen to that. Somebody, you know what I'm saying? Somebody can say amen to that, man. God. So listen, not only does God deliver, right? Not only does God protect you, not only does he guide you, but God will provide for you, right? Come on, let me, let me, get, my notes, let me get my notes back. 
Get, get, hit y'all hit y'all with some more. Look at verse 15 and 16. Look what it says. He split the rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink abundantly. Right? He made streams come out of the rocks and caused the waters to flow down like the river. Go down to verse 20. He struck the rocks so that the water gushed out and streams overflowed. Can he also not give them bread and provide for them? So listen, God is saying, I provided for y'all in the wilderness, Ephraimites. What else do you want me to do? Like, how are you asking me if I can give you some food that you crave? Eventually, we go through verse 78. How are you wondering if I gave you food that you crave when I struck a rock and water has come out multiple times? How are you still complaining? When you was doing bad up in Egypt, up in slavery, and I delivered you and I led you here, did you think I was going to lead you here to die? And church, I'm trying to tell somebody, somebody in here thinks God has forgotten about them and has led them here to to just die. But I'm going to tell you one thing. Everybody in here is eight today. Everybody here is clothed in their right mind. Everyone has the opportunity yet again to hear the preaching of the gospel and to hear about the grace and good news of Jesus. That's indicative of God's care for you and that he will provide for you. He ain't going to desert you in the place that you're in, church. He's not going to desert you. I know the bills are, are surmounted. I know they're getting high and down and up. I know it seems like things are getting complicated in your life. I know that things are difficult, but God has not led you to this place to desert you because he's, he's given the best that he has to us in Jesus on the cross. That's indicative of his care. So guys, I'm telling you, let me just remind you of this thing. Don't forget the Exodus moments in your life. Let me give you another analogy. Who, who am I going to pick on? I'm going to pick on my baby girl right here, right? So she goes to the babysitter in the morning time, right? Because I got to go to work. My wife works. She's the breadwinner, so she's got to work. So. <laughs> so, so the baby has to go to the babysitter in the morning. But I don't have this parenting thing figured out very well. Like, I kind of don't really know what I'm doing specifically. Like, I tried to read the little books, baby, read your baby the first year books, and I kind of not, still not getting some of it. But one of the things that I do know is that if your baby is nursing, they got to have their milk. Right? Can anybody attest to that? That's pretty simple, right? So, but in the hustle and the bustle of the morning time, um, I have the propensity to forget the milk. So what I have to do at night is I take the keys out of my pocket and I put the keys in my pocket next to the milk in the refrigerator, right? Now that sounds kind of foolish, right? You're like, some people are like, now this is what I do. Because when, I, when, when the hustle of the morning happens, and I reach for my keys and I realize that they're not there, I remember that the keys are next to the milk in the refrigerator. Let me, make, let me see if I can make it plain. The keys serve as a reminder to help me remember something that's very important. Okay, 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 okay. All right, I, I thought y'all, let me, let me see if I can say that a little bit more plain. The key, I, I can't forget the milk because there will be some real consequences to it. So I need a means of reminding me not to forget the milk. So what I do is I take the keys, put the keys in the refrigerator next to the milk, and the keys serve as a reminder to not let me forget the milk. In other words, when you're in Christ Jesus, the Holy Ghost is the reminder to help you not forget the important things that happen in your life. 
about when how God delivered you, how God has provided for you, how God has taken care of. God takes the Holy Ghost and helps you to remember all of the Exodus times in your life. When you were in that toxic relationship and that dude was taking up all your relational energy and he was trying to keep you away from your family and help you walk with him, but he was trying to just take away from your life and God delivered you, that's an Exodus moment. Right when, when, when he provided some money for you that was unexpected or gave you a little bit back when you didn't think it was going to happen, that's an exodus moment. God has provided for each and every one of us in here, and we cannot forget the times that he has provided. We can't forget it. Can't forget you know what I'm saying? We can't forget what he's done. So church, I think that's the issue sometimes. We crave, Paul, um, Paul Tripp says it like this. We have the insatiable desire for more and more. When the Lord doesn't want us to just have more and more, he wants us to have better in him. So we want, a, we want a, a quantitative difference in our lives, but God wants to give us a qualitative amount in our lives. So we got to pursue after him, church. All of these things that you want, listen, it's nothing wrong with going hard at your aspirations and your desires. It's nothing wrong with, with pushing forward to grow in your career and to mature. But realize that all those things pale in comparison to your relationship with the Lord Jesus. All of those things are trinkets, they're ornaments in relation to the riches that you have in Jesus. You know, Gabe got up here and he was talking about the offering which was a beautiful thing. I'm talking about the offering. You got some preachers up in here between Gabe and Ed and, and my man, Pastor B. You got some preachers up in here. But this is what I thought about. Grace giving says, I give around 10% of my income, right? That's what grace giving says. It's, it's not a mandate. You don't get beat over the head of it. You don't get, get beat over the head. But we think it's a good idea to do so. Because in the Old Testament, they gave up to about 25% of their income on a regular basis. So not only did they give money as a tithe and offering, but then they had the winnowers as well. So they left a portion of their crops in the field so that the poor could come and grab some of the crops. And then they had to pay a tax, or they had to pay another tax for the temple. So it came up to around 25%. So we say, how much more on the other side of us knowing Jesus Christ should we give around 10% or whatever? You know, somewhere around there. But this, is, but this is what I remember. Christ did not give us 10%. He gave us 100%. He gave us 100% of himself. And I want you to catch this. He liquidated all of his assets on the cross of Calvary for us. The most valuable offering that God could have given was the blood of Jesus. It's the most valuable. So I don't want you to hear, so I, I just want to say that today. When you get encouraged to give, when you think about God's community, when you think about the covenant community, you think about God's favor that he has shown upon us, that should cause us to have some thankfulness and gratefulness for what he's done in our life. But what did the children of Israel do? They continued to spoke against, speak against God. They continued to complain. Because no matter what God did, it just did not satisfy them. One of the ways that you know that you are dismissive of God's care and that you take God for granted is if you're always complaining about God's provision for you. That's one of the ways you can know. If we're always complaining, do we always have a gripe? Are we always argumentative 
and unthankful? Or do we have a deep desire in our hearts to be appreciative and show gratitude for what God has provided for you? And I just want to encourage you today. Maybe that's you. Maybe you've been dismissive of God's care. Maybe you haven't uh, appreciated God's community as you are. I just want to let you know that the beautiful thing about Christ Church is you have the opportunity to repent. Repentance is just saying, Lord, pent meaning pentacle, re meaning again. So you're asking God to, to bring you back to the high place in relationship with him. So we have the opportunity to say, Lord, I messed up. I'm, I'm always bickering. I'm always griping. I'm always trying to be, like, I'm really, like, I'm really not happy where I am right now. And that causes me to have a heart. When, when you bless others, it becomes a curse to me. That's another way that you know that you're being dismissive. When God blesses others with certain things that we've been desiring for so long, do you celebrate in that with them or do you complain behind their backs? We need to celebrate in joy because you know when, he, when God does something for one of my brothers and sisters in Christ, he's doing it for me. It's something we all can enjoy. It's something we, we don't hoard the gifts that we have from God. It's something we can all enjoy together. So I just want to encourage you. Repent of the sin of taking God for granted. Walk in the newness of knowing that he's provided for you and that he's going to keep you until we meet him in glory. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for the goodness of your mercy and your grace. Father, we are um, deeply, deeply thankful for you. Um, we all have the propensity and um, the desire to, to, to go further and to do more. But oftentimes, Lord, we struggle with the fact that um, we are not where we wish that we were. So, Father, I pray today uh, that you will forgive us of our sins. Help us to walk in light of the gospel. Help us to realize, Lord, that you liquidated the most valuable asset for us, which was your blood on the cross of Calvary. Lord, you are, you are good. You are holy. You are wise. You haven't made any mistakes in our lives. God, and I, I feel compelled right now. Lord, I just want to pray for the folks right now that have been struggling with low self-esteem. The folks that, that, that don't feel as though they have gifting or ability to do stuff and they've been hindered by fear and apprehension. Um, Lord, people have said things to them that have um, just taken root in their minds. Father, I pray in Christ's name that you will remove that seed of doubt right now and that you will help them to walk in the confidence of Jesus Christ. Lord, I, I, I pray for those folks, Lord, that, that want to be transparent about their sin, but yet they've been struggling. They've been struggling with these secret sins behind closed doors. Lord, and they know that they need to repent, but they're scared too because they don't feel like they have a safe haven. Father, I pray that you let them know they have a safe haven in you right now. Lord, that you provide and you'll protect. So, Father, we thank you for your goodness and mercy. We pray that you will be with us in Jesus' name. Amen.